0: listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. Last week we talked about fluency. Um, We talked about how it's not just the words that we use, uh, but uh, before you can become fluent in a second language, you do need to know some basic words. You need to know some basic vocabulary, some basic grammars. You need to know a little bit about how certain words are used in the culture uh, that the language is where it's being spoken. Um, And so sometimes there's words in a new language that don't correspond uh, to the word in your native language, uh, but they're used in a similar or used in a different way. And we've got to work out some of those basics. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning. We're going to look at some of the basics that we need The Basics of the Gospel. Um, Last week, I mentioned to you that I think uh, that I am fairly fluent um, in Australian, but there is a time uh, when I wasn't. Um, And last week, I saw something come across my feed um, from Channel 7 News. I don't know, you may have seen it too. It was a little bit of internet drama, and it all stems from Australia's biggest export around the world right now. Any guesses as to what that is? Australia's biggest export right now in this cultural moment. Sorry? I mean, it's probably coal, but no. It's Bluey. Bluey is just blowing up all around the world, especially in America. Everyone loves Bluey. When we were there over the summer, it was on sale everywhere. Bluey was in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which you know you've made it in New York. Um, if you get your own balloon, um, and so this week, here's what came across my feed. There's an episode in season one of Bluey called Daddy Robot, and they there was a, somebody had taken a screenshot from this episode, and zoomed into an object that was in the background. There's an object in the background. There it is. And a, an Amer- American lady wrote into t- Facebook or put on her Facebook chat group. She said, "Why is there?" in a children's TV show, a wine bottle in the bushes. And everybody in Australia was like, wait, what? And, and, the, and why, were, why was she so confused? Well, we just don't have cricket bats in Australia. You know, a cricket bat is like two creatures that fly around the night. Uh, you know, it's not a thing. And so to under, you need to understand, if you're going to be fluent in Australian, some of the basics. You need to know what a cricket bat is. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to define just a few basic terms so we don't end up looking silly on Facebook. Or worse, we miss the point, the, real, the heartbeat of the gospel. To learn, to become fluent in a language, you've got to have some basic vocab, some basic uh, grammar. Um, one of the questions, if you were a part of the DG study, if you did the intro, one of the questions, the very first question I think was, "What is the gospel? Can you define the gospel?" Um, if you've, um, if some of you who are members of our church, that's the first question that I always ask in a in a membership interview. Not in a sense of to try to trip you up, but just to get people come from all different backgrounds, and I I don't ever assume we as elders don't ever assume that we are clear. On what the gospel is—it's one of the reasons I try to articulate it every single week when we're here—and again, not to so we could all pass an exam and pat ourselves on the back, but because the gospel, as we'll see in a a moment, is the power of salvation for all who believe. So it's important if you want to experience the power of the gospel that you have a good grasp on the content of the gospel. So we're going to start with the basics this morning. Um, We're going to be in two different texts of Scripture. Normally, we just do one, but this morning, we're going to two. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, which, again, is a little passage that you may have read in DG this week, and then the other one is in Romans 1, uh, Romans 1, and and, and really, there's just two ideas that I want to get across this morning, And, and the first one is this. The gospel is the good news story in a bad news world. The gospel is the good news story in a bad news world, and the second one is that anyone who believes in this good news story will be saved from our bad news world. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll jump into the text this morning. Lord, thank you that we can have these moments to set aside, to open your word, and just to really listen. Father, I, I pray that you won't just open our ears and our, our brains, but that you would open our hearts, that the, the words which... I speak, that you would use by the power of your spirit to make us the people that you've created us to be. God, we know that only you can do that, so would you do it? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, think back for a moment, if you dare, to, the, uh, to 2020 um, in those early days of the pandemic, you know, all of our normal rhythms of gathering and work and school and family were gone. Um, the whole world hit the pause button to stop the spread. Um, every day you could, you'd turn on the news and you'd hear these stories of how stuff was happening and how all the the, the bad news and the the you know the coronavirus was ravaging places, faraway places around the world and hospitals were overflowing and, and we all were fearful, we were all scared, we were scared to go out, we were scared of each other. Um, you know, I can remember, you know, going for a walk when we were allowed to go for a walk and sort of like, you know, somebody be coming the other way on the footpath and you just be kind of like, you know, do that or, you know, we didn't shake hands and you know, some, some of us were, you know, you'd get your, your bag of groceries delivered to you and you'd be like spraying it down with your, you know, Glen 20 or whatever you use. Like those were interesting, different times. Bad news was everywhere. Everybody was just craving a little sliver of good news in what was a very bleak year. Uh, this week... Um, millions of people around the world have been tuning in and following the news of the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Um, you know, when disasters like that happen, even though they're far away, even though we might not be personally impacted at all, just as human beings, we, we follow these things and we're just praying and hoping for just a bit of good news, an, an image of, 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 a, of a child being rescued or someone found alive underneath the rebel. Because all of us long for good news in our bad news world. Not just bad news of earthquakes and disease, but bad news of heartbreak and missed opportunities or just run-of-the-mill boredom. We want good news. We want real joy. We want real hope real peace, to, to break through. And and we want that good news to stick around. It's not just like, you know, fairy floss that sort of, you. it's a nice hit and then it melts and it's gone. For good news to be good, though, there's a few things that have to sort of come together for it to be really good. So it has to be true. It has to be clear. It has to be, well, I'll I'll get into that. I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this. So I want you, if you've got your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. Open up to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to read starting in verse 1. Um, Paul is going to define the gospel here. He doesn't use the word gospel in this text, but he's going to define it. The, the word gospel comes from the Greek word. It, it, the, the word where we get gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which literally means good news. Good news. That's what, that's what it is. It's a good announcement, a good message. So look at me. Look with me in one Corinthians 15, starting in verse one. Paul writes. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel. Oh, sorry, he does use the word. I just said he didn't. He does. I want to make clear for you the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12th, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. All right, so for gospel, for good news to be really good, it has to, number one, be true. I, sorry, it has to be clear. It has to be clear. And in verse 1, Paul says, I want you, family, to be clear on what the gospel is. I want you to know it. I want you to be well-versed in the gospel. Not because there's a test at the end of the day or at the end of the lesson, but because your whole life depends on it. It's like, um, I don't know, one of those like, really kind of cliche movie scenes where there's, you know, the hero of the movie has to save the, save the world by diffusing a bomb. And there's two wires. There's a red one and a green one. And, and, and which one is it? Which one? You, know, you cut the wrong one, and it's, all, it's game over. But if you cut the right one, then save the day happily ever after. Paul, Paul says, you need to know what the gospel is. Because if you get it wrong, it has pretty serious consequences. And yet, if you get it right, if you believe and you receive the true gospel, you save save your life. Your life is saved. The lives of those, those around you are saved. Our lives depend on getting the gospel right. So it has to be clear. We have to be clear on what it is. Secondly, good news for it to be good Has to be for life. It has to be lasting. It can't just here today and then forgotten tomorrow. Verse 2, he raises the possibility of believing. He talks about believing in vain, unless you believed in vain. What does that mean? How could someone who believes the gospel believe in vain? It might be that someone hears the gospel and they believe it initially, but then they get enticed by something else. Some other story. Some other pursuit, some other ambition, and they think that, that's the good news. That's the good news. They think, you know, the Jesus stuff, it's nice. It was nice for a season, you know, like when I was back in youth group or whatever, but now what I need is as a roadmap to real success right now. I need good feelings. I need resources now. And so that's what it looks like to believe in vain because we get carried away by some other what we think is some other good news story. And we need to be clear on why the gospel isn't just some good news, but it's the only good news and the best news that there is. And the reason I say it's the only good news is because it's the only good news that lasts. It's the only good news that will carry you and me and anyone who believes to the other side of death. If you keep believing the good news, the good news will keep you, will hold on to you for life. So good news has to be clear. It has to be for life. Thirdly, it has to be true. It has to be true. And this is the key truth. The gospel is good news because it is true. It's not just wishful thinking. So regardless of whether or not you believe it, regardless of whether or not you are clear on it, Regardless of whether or not you keep believing it, the gospel is still true. And that's what Paul's trying to get across here in verse 3. He says, here it is, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, that is true regardless of who believes it. It is true regardless of who keeps believing it. It is true because it happened. And Paul wants to emphasize that because then he goes on. He says, he rose, he was buried, and he rose, and then he appeared first to one man, Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, and then to 500 other people. Most of them are still alive. So don't take my word for it. Go ask them. Now, he's writing this in like 80 55, somewhere around there. And so that's why he's saying most of these 500 people that saw Jesus rise from the dead twenty years previous—they're still alive. And so, if you don't believe me, you can find them. You can ask them. They are eyewitnesses. And what we—the gospel we believe—and you know, we talk about—you know—we you, throw around words like religion and and spirituality and, and 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 you know the deeper life and all of this. But the faith that saves you is faith in something that actually happened, that was witnessed by hundreds of people. It's, it's not just a feeling. It's a, it's, it's a historical fact. And that is the ground that we stand on, and that's what we have to be clear on. Now, of course, the gospel, it's not just an empty uh, historical fact standing alone. That fact that has meaning, and the meaning of that fact is then given by the Scriptures. So, So Paul says, all of this happened, but it happened according to the Scriptures. What did he mean? Well, he's referring to passages like Isaiah 53 and elsewhere, saying that Jesus died, not just like any person dies at the end of their life, he died for our sins, Isaiah 53 says that he was crushed for our sins, our iniquity. So, scripture gives the meaning to his death, but his death is established by history. Why is this important? One of the chief goals of Satan, the enemy of your soul, is to get you to question whether or not the gospel is true, whether or not this really happened. So can we trust what the Bible says? Can we be sure that God is for you and not against you? Can, you know, sometimes I don't feel that way. Sometimes there's stuff going on in my life or in your life and what we feel is something different. We feel that God doesn't care, that he doesn't see, that he is absent, that he is cruel even. You know, I some of you may have at some point along the way, gotten one of those crazy emails saying that you, have, you are the long-lost heir of some royal nephew of some country that you've never heard of, and all you have to do is click this link and claim your inheritance. And, and the, the goal of Satan is to get you to put gospel in that category. It's like, it sounds great, but it's probably not true. It's probably a scam and most of us don't you know we're in church we're too nice we're 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 too you know we you know we're we're too nice to be put the gospel and religious the bible in that same category but functionally we we kind of live that way but for good news to be good it has to be true it has to be clear and it has to keep you for life now i want you to follow me to romans chapter 1 and this is where Paul is going to contrast the good news of the gospel with the other supposedly good news stories that we believe. And I want you to be able to see the difference. So Romans 1, starting in verse 16, Paul writes, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek.'" For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. I want to skip over verses 16 17 for a minute and, and jump down to verse 18 because I want to, um, he, he starts here not by telling a, a good news story, but very much a bad news story. He talks about God's wrath being revealed against everyone who practices godlessness and unrighteousness. And just in case, just to put not too fine a point out, but that's everybody. He's talking about everybody. This is not a special category of people. This is everybody. He tells us that later in Romans 3. He said, you know, there's no one who is righteous, no one who seeks God. We've all turned away and followed our own ways. Um, Everybody at some point. Has rejected the good news story. Everyone is an unbeliever. And God's wrath we see is revealed not simply in some, not just saying, okay, when you die, there's wrath that waits for you. It is God's wrath revealed in the trajectory of our lives. God's wrath revealed in the trajectory of our lives. And and let me unpack that for a minute. First of all, I want to say, not all unbelief is the same. There are different kinds of unbelief, different reasons for unbelief. Um, We don't believe the gospel, the good news story, for a variety of reasons. Paul says in verse 18, we are people who, in our sin nature, suppress the truth. We suppress the truth. Why? Well, number one, some of us do that because of ignorance. We just don't know what we don't know. We don't know. There are people who don't know the gospel of Jesus. They don't know Jesus' righteousness because no one has told them about it. Later on, Romans 10, 14, Paul, he asked this question. He said, well, how can they believe without hearing about him? So in order to believe the good news, the gospel, you have to have heard it or read about it. And yet, Paul says, even the people who haven't heard the gospel— are still guilty of rejecting it. And he explains why in verses 19 and 20. He says, all people can discern basic truths about God's power and majesty just by looking at creation, looking at the things that he has made, that none of us can use or hide behind ignorance as an excuse to avoid the consequences of our unbelief. We can know just enough about God um, to be guilty and condemned for our unbelief. But the only way we can know the good news story of the gospel and be saved is if someone tells us that good news story, which is a great impetus if you need one for mission. For mission. The only way that anybody can hear and believe the good news story is if someone tells them. And the only way someone will tell them is if they are sent, if they go. There are, according to a website called the Joshua Project, still today, in the, in the age of easy travel and instant translation, two billion people on the planet who have never heard the gospel. The name of Jesus, anything to do with the good news story. And Paul asked this question, who's gonna, who will tell them? Who will tell them? Ignorance is only one aspect of unbelief. There's also what Paul describes here as open rebellion. It starts out small. We believe small lies, just like Adam and Eve. Maybe, maybe, maybe God didn't say that we couldn't eat this fruit. And they give way to bigger lies. Maybe God isn't really interested in my happiness at all. Maybe he only cares about himself. Maybe I'm the one. I need to look inside of myself. I need to discern what I need to do to be happy. And, and that's what Paul, this, he describes this. He says, it, we start out with ingratitude to God, and that gives way to what he calls worthless thinking. We exchange the big story of God and his love and his glory for lesser stories, for our glory, for our pursuit of our happiness. And our worthless thinking then leads to dark desires. We don't desire God. We desire stuff, created stuff. See, Adam and Eve believed the serpent's lie because they started taking God's goodness for granted. They were just every day in the garden enjoying everything that he had made, and and, and they stopped being grateful for what they had and all they could see is the one thing they didn't do you see we that's so human it's just so like us we we can have so much and yet be laser focused on the one thing we don't and that leads to idolatry where we switch out the glory of god for the glory of things and we crave things and once we begin to crave things then we will do anything to get those things And that's how sinful thinking leads to sinful desires, which leads to sinful behavior, which ultimately leads to death. That's the trajectory that Paul describes here. Now, the last reason that many of us don't believe the gospel, and I think this will be more relatable perhaps to some of us, and that is we are just so forgetful. We forget. We forget who we are. And we believe the lies that the world is telling us every single day. Lie, we, we believe that we are what we achieve. So if you didn't achieve this week, if you didn't make the grade this week, if someone criticized you, if someone didn't follow through, we start believing. Well, it's because I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I've messed up one too many times. There's no more grace for me. See, we start believing the world because we, you live in a world that is anti-grace, whether you think so or not. You think, well, how can we be anti-grace and yet so full of, of, of sin and, 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 and lawlessness? See, lawlessness and grace are, are not the same thing. See, grace is grace despite what we have done, despite what we've done. And we live in a world that will tell you that grace is a lie. And we believe that over and over again. And the way to counter that lie is to keep coming back to grace, come back to the good news story every single week, all the time, every day, preaching it to yourself, preaching it to one another, coming and drinking it at the table. That's why we do this every week. That's why we gather so regularly. Not just because we're following some old-fashioned, dusty tradition. But because we forget so easily, we need this regular reminder to be together and say, this, this gospel story is true, and it's life, and it's keeping you, and it's true today, it's true this week like it was true last week, and it will be true next week, and we need to be together preaching the story to ourselves and to each other lest we forget. The gospel is the only good news story in a bad news world that does not depend one iota on you to make it true. It doesn't depend on me. It's true whether you feel like it. It's true whether you believe it. It's true whether or not your life conforms to it. That, my friends, is the only good news that you need in a bad news world. I want to circle back to verses 16 and 17. Maybe you're familiar with these verses. Paul writes, "'For I'm not ashamed of the gospel.'" Just is the good news story. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. See, that is the good news story that is better than any other story that the world is trying to get you to believe. And that's why Paul says you can hold your head high when you speak this story, when you believe this story. Not in pride, not that we're better than others, But you know, Paul was writing to the Roman church, and historians tell us that most of the people he was writing to, most of the early believers in the early church, they were not wealthy people. They were not highly educated people. They were not people with titles and positions and portfolios. Most of them were slaves. They were considered almost nothing in the eyes of the world. And Paul looks at them and says, You have no reason to be ashamed. The world will tell you that your status should cause you to be ashamed. The gospel says you don't have to be ashamed because Christ has saved you. Christ is for you. He has raised your position to heights that you could never achieve on your own. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. He says, you look around. Look at the people, look at your brothers and sisters, people who are nothing in the eyes of the world and are kings and queens, sons and daughters of God in the church. I'm not ashamed. All the other systems of power have failed. All the other strategies for self-improvement have failed. It is the power of God in the story, in the good news story of the gospel, that is the power to save you, the power to raise you up. No matter who you are, you could be Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free. In the true story of the gospel, it is not here, see, the wrath of God being revealed, it's the righteousness of God being revealed in Jesus Christ and then made manifest in the joy, in the peace, in the love in the faithfulness, in the kindness and self-control of his people. The righteousness of God is being revealed in Jesus and in his church. Anyone who holds on to faith in Jesus, anyone who believes this good news story for life and says, this is, I stake my life on this, is saved from the bad news world. This morning, I want to just kind of wrap up with a, an, a kind of a tried and true framework. A tried and true framework for the gospel story. And this might help us to hold on to the basics. What is the basics of the gospel? What is it? It's the basics, kind of some vocabulary that we need so that we're not ignorant, so that we don't believe lies, so that we don't forget. Um, theologians for centuries have told the go- story of the gospel in four acts. In four acts. Creation. Fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So let me just walk through those just briefly. You know, almost every story that we believe, not just the gospel, has these elements. Has, there's an origin. You know, the characters in the, in the story have an origin story. Then there's a conflict or a fall. Then there's a, a salvation narrative, a redemption of some kind. And then there's a, an ending, a happy ending, a restoration. So let's focus on what the Bible says about these things. The better good news story. Number one, creation. So the God who made the universe in seven days also made you. The God who made the universe made you and me and all people in his image. No matter what you look like, no matter what abilities you have, no matter who your parents are, God made you. And that's the most important thing about you. You belong to him. He then defines who you are. What he says about you matters more than what the world says about you or even what you say about yourself. He defines your true identity. He defines your worth. He defines your purpose. The true story of creation frees you and me to know that my worth, your worth, is not in how much you own. It is not in how many friends you have. It's not in how much you can lift it is not in how many people you've discipled or how many sermons you've preached. Your worth is given to you by your creator. Every other story that you we believe or tell ourselves is bound up. It has this catch of like, you are only as worthy as fill in the blank. That's every other story except the gospel. I don't know, it could be your DNA, your achievements, your looks, your wealth, your youth. None of those things will last None of them. God's love for you is the one thing that will be just as strong when you are confined to a bed at age 95 as it is when you're 18. That's good news. Then comes the fall. See, this is our true problem. Our true problem is not, your true problem is not that you haven't done enough, that you haven't earned enough, that you haven't saved enough that you haven't been happy enough. That's what the world will tell you. But the gospel says that our true problem started way, way, way before we were even born, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, believed a lie. And now that same lie that they believed, that God is not for you, that God does not know how to make you happy, that's the same lie that is repeated and believed by every single human descendant of Adam and Eve ever since. And the fall tells us the problem that we faced is not that the deck is stacked against us, even though it might be. Our true problem isn't other people. Our true problem is the sin that we are born with and the sin, the lies that we believe every single day. The problem that we face is the problem that we look at, and we know this, I think, if we're honest. We see it in the mirror. And, we, and we, it's too much. And so that's why we suppress the truth. It's too much. It's too hard. I suppress the truth and believe lies of convenience to justify myself, to try to save myself, to try and make myself feel good and look good. So I rebel. I forget. I'm guilty and I'm ashamed before a holy and righteous God. And there is nothing that I can do or you can do about that. And because I am guilty, because you're guilty, one day we will die along with every other rebel against God. See, that's our true problem. And and we have to understand our true problem, and we have to understand the reality of God's wrath being revealed against our unrighteousness. Because if we don't appreciate that, if we don't understand that, then we will never understand why the gospel is good news. So how then can we be saved from our true problem? This is the heart of the good news. Out of all the ways that we try to delay death, save ourselves, give our lives meaning, make ourselves happy, there's only one true way, only one lasting way. It's the way of our one true Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what theologians call redemption. Jesus came, he said, he told us, to seek and save the lost, Sinners like us, heading for death, ignorant people like us, rebellious people like us, forgetful people like us, not by hammering you with the law. Every other religious system says, here's how you can be saved. Keep the law. Do more, do better. And it's a hammer that none of us can stand up underneath. Jesus did not come to hammer you with the law. Jesus came to obey the law for you, to do what you could never do, to keep the law perfectly, and then to assume, to trade places with you, his perfection, his righteousness, his sinlessness traded for your sin, your guilt, your shame. He took all of that on himself when he died on the cross in your place. And so that now anyone who believes that story, that true story, anyone who puts their faith and trust and confidence and hope in Jesus is saved once for all. And the last act in the story is restoration. This is our true hope. The good news story isn't just about you as an individual sinner being saved. It's not just about you and me as individuals. It's bigger than that. Jesus died for your sins and mine. That's the heart of the gospel. But he died to inaugurate and usher in a kingdom. A worldwide, universe-wide kingdom. So the people of God who are gathered here today in this family, in this covenant body, we are a microcosm of the global, universal, trans-historical people of God. And one day, we will inhabit the new heavens, and the new earth, where the realm where everything sad has come untrue. No more death, no more disease, no more disappointment, no more tears, nothing but good news all the time. And it all hangs on what Paul says here is of first importance. And what is of first importance is not how religious you are. It is not how sincere you are. It's not how consistent you are. It is not how much you do for God. It's not how much you love God. It is not on how you feel about God in any given moment. All of the story of the gospel hangs on this. There was a day, a Friday, where the Son of God hung on a cross and breathed his last breath. And then there was a day, a Sunday, where the Son of God rose to life. That is what is at the center of the gospel story that we believe. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and Jesus is coming again. That is your hope. And see, the only thing you can do with that, you can't change any of that. It happened, and it will happen. The only thing you can do is believe it. The good news story we call the gospel is, Paul says, the power of God for salvation, for anyone who believes. You want true hope. The gospel is the only story that has it. And there's power in the story to keep you holding on, to keep you believing, keep you remembering Keep you longing for Jesus. As we said last week, he doesn't leave us alone. He's showered us with gifts. He's filled us with his spirit. He's given us his people, his word, his table every single week so that we remember. So that we believe the story that is so good because it's clear, it's true, and it's for life. There's so many things, so many things that I forget. You know, I, I go through every single day, have moments, periods, long stretches of forgetting who I am. You know, I, I can go th- big, um, you know, length of time just feeling sorry for myself and thinking of all the things that I think that I don't have. The things that might make me happy. And the only solution, the only antidote, the only thing that snaps me out of that is to come and once again stare in the face of Christ. To do what the old chorus said, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, including the feelings inside of us, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's, that's why we come to the table, because we need time to together turn our eyes again off of ourselves, off of our issues and our stuff, and remember Jesus and see him, believe him again. So you do that. Your faith just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. That's why we need to grow in what we're calling gospel fluency because we forget. Life happens and we forget. So let's come again today and remember. Let's hope. And let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the table where we come and just receive the symbols of your grace, of your body that really was on one day in history broken for us. Your blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, may this good news story, this true good news story, this story that is clear, the story that keeps us for life, would that story give us new hope and joy right now? We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.